Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Good morning, Live Free Church Kelowna. It's great to be here with you this morning. Excited to open up the Word of God and uh, share with you some of the things that God has impressed on my heart as I've been reading this text, the, the portion that we're uh, at in our series, and, um, and things that the Lord has just been, uh, yeah, even convicting my own heart about. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can uh, be together this morning um, on the TV screen or the com- uh, computer screen, however people might be watching this morning. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would um, incline our hearts towards the things that you have to say to us this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see glorious things in your word. And, and uh, Lord, keep us from being distracted, lots of distractions, things that have happened this past week or even the anticipations of the week to come. Uh, and then, Lord, I pray that you'd satisfy us as we've spent time worshiping you together, as we are now opening up your word and worshiping you through the word and the teaching of your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd satisfy us. That's, that's our longing. It's why we're here. We want to have an experience with you where you would touch our hearts and, and bring joy and satisfaction to us. So we commit these next moments to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the message and the narrative uh, of the Bible really is an epic story of good and evil. Um, And this is how it shakes out. God has plans. God has uh, strong desires for us, for his creation. Um, He has things that he wants to do. And the guarantee is that the devil, the enemy, is going to do everything he can to counter that, to attack it, to try to tear it down. Uh, The enemy is constantly busy seeing how he can destroy and distract and hinder, sidetrack the advance of God's kingdom, of the gospel. Uh, Even right from the start, right when God created Adam and Eve, there was this onslaught almost immediately where the enemy comes in and wants to destroy that which God has said is very, very good. I want you to uh, hear these words that Jesus spoke. Jesus understood this conflict. He came into this world, and even at the beginning of his ministry, he was at war, as it were, with the devil in a temptation that he faced in the desert. Uh, But Jesus said these things about this conflict, this epic story of good versus evil, when he said these words, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's this there's this clear understanding that he wants to do something, and, and what he wants to do is he wants to build his church, he wants to establish it, he wants to move his church, his bride, the, 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 the proclaimers and the messengers of the gospel, the good news, forward. He wants to advance it, and, and Jesus understands that the enemy is going to do everything he can. The forces of Hades, is how another translation talks about it, um, wants to overpower that, and Jesus said it's not going to happen. No matter how strong the gates of hell or the devil and all his available forces are, and however hostile they are towards God's plan in aggressively fighting against and opposing it uh, from every front, doing all they can to thwart the momentum of the church, trying to overpower and prevail and conquer, 
it's clear that Jesus says no matter how hard the enemy is going to try to do this, uh, the tactics of the enemy are not going to prevail. They're not going to win. The church will be triumphant. The gospel will move forward and also triumph. And our text here this uh, morning paints a picture of this battle. Um, While God is doing some amazing things in the establishing of his church, as you've been studying the book of Acts and seeing some of the cool things that that God is at work doing, uh, really stunning actually, the enemy is opposing and trying to stop the advance of the church. Jesus promised it would happen, and here it's now being fulfilled. And the challenge that we're going to walk away with this morning, this is my prayer, is that we would be left with this notion that we should never play fast and loose with sin. It can happen in our lives as followers of Jesus. uh, And of course, in this world, we see it all the time. People just don't care about sin. And and this text reminds us, be careful. Don't play fast and loose with sin. Uh, And and so what's going on in this text, there's some context, obviously, is in chapter 4, as we've been coming out of chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at chapter 5, the first part, of Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bible, uh, you can uh, crack it open already or open up uh, your, um, um, your app on your phone so you can follow along. But in chapter 4, there are some of these outside forces that are already uh, attacking the, the church, these external attacks, threats from religious powers in Jerusalem, fueled by the enemy. And in chapter 4, After John and Peter uh, are released, they go to a prayer meeting, and this is what they pray. They say in chapter 4, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And then uh, as you continue through your journey in Acts, later on in Acts chapter 5, you're also going to see that there are some more external attacks or outside attacks. But what we find here in chapter 5 is that the enemy works inside the church too. And we see in our context here that the, the, the enemy's desire is to destroy, to discredit, to hinder, to sidetrack right from inside the church. And there is this story about this couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And so I'd like to point out four observations from our text this morning and then just wind it up with a couple of applications for our hearts and our lives here in 2021. This was written a long time ago, but it's still as applicable as it was back then when it was written. Now, what I want you to see in Acts chapter 5 to start with is that this text or this, this next section starts with the word but, which tells me something. Typically, you don't start a sentence with the word but or a new uh, chapter. Now, these chapters aren't you know, inspired by God, but it does help us divide thoughts. And this next thought starts with the word but, which means it's a connecting word we need to know uh, what just what um, Luke, the author of Acts, just finished saying. And uh, Todd Chaplin last week alluded to it already and spoke about some of these verses, but, but I'd like us to back up uh, to chapter 4 and verse 32. And here's the first observation that I want you to see as we're reading these verses. The first observation as the, is that uh, one of the marks of the early church, of the first church, was generosity. It is so crystal clear here. So pick it up. In Acts chapter 4, and starting in verse 32, this is what we read. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This was not a, sorry, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what, they, of what was sold, rather, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What a cool testimony of the first church. And then it says in verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Chapter 5, verse 1, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. So that's the connecting piece. A guy named Barnabas sells some land, brings the whole proceeds of the land that he sold, brings the money to the apostles' feet, says, here, use this to help those who are in need. And Ananias and Sapphira do something very similar, except it's not exactly the same. But what I find so amazing about this, this last part of chapter 4 is, is this generosity that we see in the church. Uh, there were no needs. People had what they needed to have. And it shouldn't surprise us. The gospel is a story of infinite generosity. The gospel is the good news of all that Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross and in our place and willingly taking our punishment on himself and rising from the dead victorious over sin and death and offering forgiveness of our sin and eternal life to all who would trust Jesus alone. And so God pours out you know, generosity upon generosity to us and now we've been touched by that generosity, and in turn, we're going to be a generous people as well. And that's what was happening. It's almost, it almost seems like if you look at the context of these verses in the end of chapter 4, that, that sandwiched between these thoughts of generosity, we read in verse um, 33, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace is upon them all. It almost seems like some of the fuel behind the gospel proclamation was their generosity, and people they, they, they saw this. They were probably amazed at how the church was caring for each other. There's probably a couple of reasons why we can be generous and that why we should be generous. One, like I've already said, we freely received. And so we freely give, right? Jesus even said it. He said, freely, freely you've received, so freely give. And, 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 and so I, I think that our generosity will be proportionate to our understanding of God's kind generosity to us. And the more my heart is overwhelmed with his great generosity, I'm going to become a generous person to those around me, to those who are in need. There are a lot of needy people. This, the second reason why we should be generous is because we're not living for this world, right? We know that. We, we're just passing through here. And the things that, that the world puts massive value on, we can hold actually with an open hand and be super generous with the things when we see needs around us because at best these things are really quite temporary. So, so that kind of sets up what we come to then in chapter 5. And here's the second observation that I want you to see is that our generosity should be fueled with pure motives or by pure motives. Not the case with this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. So follow along now in your Bibles and we'll just read the first uh, 10 verses here of this chapter. It says, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, this is crazy, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Yeah, no kidding. Verse 6, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7, and after an interval of about three hours, his wife, Sapphira, came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will, call, uh, they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, found, uh, sorry, when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. No doubt, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, the kind of talk that would have happened after that day in the first church so what i find so amazing about this story is that it's very clear that there was zero obligation for anybody to give though people were giving though people were super generous though barnabas had sold his land and, and taken all of the proceeds from that the sale of that land and brought it to the apostles there there's no obligation there's no command given by the apostles to be doing this and all the giving was prompted by the Spirit and, and was a beautiful demonstration of generosity. What was missing here was pure motives. Ananias and Sapphira weren't honest. They weren't transparent about what had happened. And, and they, they, if, I think that if they had just been straight up and open about uh, what had happened and, hey, we sold it for $10,000 and here's $5,000, we need $5,000 to do this project or do whatever it might be, I think, based on what I'm reading here, the apostles would have been fine with this. But it's clear here, remember now, the enemy's at work, wants to do something, and so from the inside, it says here, Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, I love watching the, the uh, TV series or a show called Border Security. Um, now, when you cross the border into the States, whether it's on land or coming by air, there's a sign somewhere that says, if you have more than $10,000, you need to declare it. And um, I, I'm always stunned when people actually come into Canada and they have more than $10,000, but they don't declare the amount of money. It just seems strange to me. I've had to take money across the border. We bought a vehicle down in New Mexico one time, and I had to take a bunch of cash down. It was more than $10,000. And so they took me to a back room, and they counted all the money, gave it back to me. They said, be careful. You shouldn't, you know you know, make sure it's safe. Uh, but all I needed to do is declare it, and it was fine. I watched one of these programs where there was a movie executive who came across into Vancouver, I think it was, and had like $450,000 cash that he brought in a duffel bag. And they counted it all and let him go. All they're looking for is a reason why you're bringing the money in and for you to be honest and transparent and open about it. I'm not sure why people are afraid of that. Maybe they don't want to be seen in a, a bad light. Maybe they're afraid. I don't know. But, but in a similar way, 
And it's clear in this text, Ananias and Sapphira could have easily kept some of the money and just told the apostles about it. But they chose not to, which brings me to my third observation. God hates sin. It's so clear in this text, right? God doesn't want us to play fast and loose with sin. And specifically, the sin here is hypocrisy. It's pretty clear that Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be seen in a good light. It's pretty clear that self-glory was their motiv- uh, motivation for giving. They wanted to be seen as though they had sold their land and this was all the money and now they were giving it when they had actually withheld some of it. And what we see here is something that's really embedded deep in all of our hearts. I sit here this morning, I'll just be honest with you, as a hypocrite, there are lots of things in my life that don't line up with the things that I say. And I think that, that the gospel kind of frees us a little bit of trying to hide stuff because we've been exposed at the cross already when we've been seen for who we really are and the fact that Jesus takes all of our punishment on himself and deals with it. So it kind of lifts a burden. But oh, there's this insatiable desire in all of our hearts to be seen in a good light, to be recognized as good, to, to make ourselves look good, to uh, you know, um, receive the approval from those around us. And it's the one thing that Jesus hated, it seems like, in his life more than anything else was religious hypocrisy. Uh, We're never going to escape the challenge in our lives to to be living absolutely consistently with everything we say and believe. We're still human. We still struggle with sin. So that's just just unrealistic. It's never going to happen this side of heaven. But when we try to put on a front, specifically a facade, To pretend that we're something that we're really not, boy, Jesus is not happy with that. And he railed on the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, big time, because religious hypocrisy is kind of the the worst kind of hypocrisy. It's a false holiness. It's an adulterated religion. It's impure godliness, which these are just oxymorons. They don't fit together. It's fake Christianity. And it's a lie about what God is actually doing in our life. We're actually indicting God through the lie that we're living. And Peter calls it out here and says, actually, that this hypocrisy that they're living is actually a lie against the Spirit of God and a testing of the Spirit of God. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Have, uh, you have not lied to men but to God. How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Now, our sin is a direct offense and affront against God. Whenever you and I sin, first and foremost, we need to recognize that we've sinned against God. Even David, when he was caught in adultery with Bathsheba and is confronted about his sin, says this in a prayer to God. He says, against you, you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And we need to remember that, that when we sin, yes, the ripple effects will most definitely impact those around us, Indirectly, for sure, but most of the time, to some degree, directly. But ultimately, our sin is a sin against God. And Paul, uh, Peter makes that clear here. Let me just park here for a, a, a bit longer as we think about what takes place here. I'll, I'm just be honest with you. As I, as I read this story and as I've meditated on it, at first glance, the punishment for the crime seems just a tad disproportionate, doesn't it? I mean... They're withholding a little bit of the money. They're they're trying to be seen in a better light than they actually are, and they die 
Ananias and Sapphira die. The question would be, well, what's going on here? What's happening? And I've already mentioned it. I think this is a clear indicator and a clear signal to this fledgling church that when we sin, we sin against God. And he, Peter says as much. And I think the other part to it is that God is sending a clear message to the church. This is, remember, this is the, the very beginning of the church. He's sending a clear message. I haven't changed my mind about sin. I'm still absolutely holy. I still hate sin. And my people, my children, should be marked by holiness and godliness, like uh, God-likeness. My standards haven't changed, so don't play fast and loose with sin. You know, in, in this grace-fueled, gospel-centered movement and moment of the first church being formed, and the reality is we live in this same beautiful, gospel-centered and grace-fueled existence today as a church here, live free. You, this, this is your story where Jesus has fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament law and, and where he has become our righteousness before God, there can be a tendency in our lives as followers of Jesus to cheapen grace, to cheapen this undeserved favor that we've experienced. There can be a temptation to exploit our right standing with God for gratifying our own fleshly desires, the things that we want to do. It can happen that we slip into a mindset that that it really doesn't matter what I do. I'm a Christian after all. And Jesus' blood has cleansed me. I, I stand forgiven before a holy God. That's true. And then sometimes we say, so I'll just do whatever I want to do. It doesn't really matter, which is so not true. Because whatever we do matters to God. His children, what His children do, His church, what His church uh, does, matters to God. And so here in Acts, we have this new beginning, as it were, and the church is being established. And, and I can't help but think that God was sending a crystal clear message, a shot across the bow, as it were. Don't play fast and loose with sin. Even though your sin's been taken care of, even though Jesus paid for it all, sin still is a big deal for me. Sin cost the life of my son. Jesus, my son, died for your sin, so don't look at sin lightly ever. I think that's the message that we could take here. And, and God wants the very best for his children, for his followers. The sweet spot, the place of joy, the place where we will experience God's blessing is in a place of obedience, walking closely with God, living in his shadow, not in sinning, not in disobeying. And so, so this discipline that takes place for Ananias and Sapphira was God's loving way to demonstrate to the church, don't mess around with sin, and secondly, I actually want the best for you. And when you're living in disobedience, it's not where you're going to find joy and peace. This discipline here in chapter 5 is not punitive in nature. It's not, it's not ultimate punishment. Jesus took care of that cost, I think, for Ananias and Sapphira. I think that they were believers. I think they messed up and they were used as a, an illustration to the church. Be careful. Walk circumspectly or cautiously. But no, th this is a loving father doing what's the very best for his children, for this newborn church, caring so deeply for his children, for his church, wanting the very best for his children, protecting his church and upholding his holy name. Which then brings me to my last observation, which is down later on, if you skip down now to verse 12, 
It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed, all healed. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the cool things that were going on there, but what I want to point out is in verse 14, and here's my fourth and last observation, Jesus continued to build his church even when things weren't so rosy inside, even when the enemy was attacking the church internally. Look at verse 14. It says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes. That Greek word is the Greek word plethos, or we get our English word a plethora. A plethora of both men and women were being added to the church. That's an amazing thought, right? So, so, so Jesus continues to be faithful to his promise. I'm going to build my church. Even when the gates of hell come against it, when they try to hinder externally, and now in this story, internally, Sapphira and Ananias, and and it could have just, I mean, this thing could have really gone badly. And even with these attacks, Jesus is building his church, and and people are being added. Multitudes are being added. (laughs) I was thinking about this. I kind of feel like this is the opposite of what, what, what should have or could have happened. I mean, you think about it, like, like if I were to get up and say, I want to give you five ways to grow your church. Number one, half people die when they sin, right? I mean, it just seems so absurd that, that the church would grow in light of two people dying because of their sinful actions. And yet, you know, God's economy is so different than ours, and his plans cannot be thwarted even when things don't go the way they should go, like in this story. And this call to holiness and this call to not play fast and loose with sin actually had the opposite effect. And people continued to be drawn to Jesus. Was there fear? Well, I'd said it right there. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. None of them, the rest dared join them. Yet, it says, the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And God continued to draw people to himself. God is kind. He's gracious. Even when we sin, even when we mess up, he's faithful. So live free, church. What do we take away from this? Number one, just remember that Jesus is building his church. doesn't matter what happens. He's going to be faithful to that promise. We see it at the very beginning of his church, and we see it in 2021. doesn't matter what comes our way. Jesus is about his, his, the advance of the gospel, the building of his bride, and he's coming back one day. Second thing I would say, remember that Satan is on the prowl and there's not one day that you live on this earth that he's not coming after you. Just remember that. He's, he's coming after you and then we wrestle with even just our own internal fleshly you know, fights that we have, but the enemy is, is on the prowl. And so my encouragement to you, Live Free Church, is just be on guard. Be on guard. Peter says in his letter, uh, to believers later on in the New Testament, he says, be sober, uh, be of sober spirit and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith. And that'd be my encouragement. God's gonna give you everything you need so that what happened to Ananias and Spira doesn't happen to you. He's there for you. His spirit lives in you. He's gonna help you 
walk faithfully in holiness and, and not to play fast and loose with sin. And then finally, I would just say this. Walk in obedience. Live free church. Walk in obedience to what God has said in his word. It's where God gets the most glory. And we find the greatest joy and satisfaction in him when we're actually walking this way. We experience the greatest peace in our lives. And people are then are going to observe us. They're going to watch us. They're going to take note of God's good and kind and gracious work in our lives. And they're going to be drawn to Jesus. So though this is a crazy story, a true story, a reminder that we need to be careful about how we, our attitude and our posture towards sin, it's also a wonderful story of grace and hope and the promise that Jesus is going to do what he said. He is building his church. So for that, we're grateful. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to hear it. Help us to be faithful to it and be glorified as we walk in obedience to you. Help us to find our joy and our satisfaction and our gladness in those moments when we're faithfully walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.